Okay. We're back. Three for three. That's pretty good. Like three weeks in a row. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed with us. I don't know about you. But. Well, we have such low expectations. We're, we're <laughs> pleased with ourselves. We managed to. Can, can we pat ourselves on the back on. for God's sake? Okay. Absolutely. Uh, um, so this week, uh, I have one topic I wanted to talk about because it's today is uh, March 18th. And March 20th is the 20th anniversary of the American invasion of Iraq. Um, and stuff being written about that anniversary is now trickling out. And I wanted to talk about some of that stuff. Great. Very up, upbeat, fun topics. Let's yeah, go. Yeah. Happy weekend. This is No Politics at the Dinner Table. I'm Tony Biancasino. And I'm Ahmed Prakash. This week we're going to be talking about the Iraq War and its 20th anniversary and maybe something we should be thinking about as Americans. Yep. Okay, so um, friend of the show, Spencer Ackerman, you guys might remember him. He wrote a wonderful book called Reign of Terror, which is about the war on terror and the political transformations it wrought on America. And his argument is that those laid the groundwork for the kind of aggressive xenophonic, um, xenophobic, excuse me, politics of Donald Trump. Um, that book, you know, since we spoke with him, Reign of Terror was named uh, NY Times Best Book, uh, Nonfiction Book of 2022, and it won the wow. National Book Award. Um, so great you know, book. It's really good. And, you know, he's he's like a very for being an independent journalist. He's um, he's won like every he's got a Pulitzer Prize, got everything, you know, so um, really, really good. And to top it off, he just got a gig, his latest gig now. Uh, is writing for The Nation magazine, and he's got a, a, a weekly column that's called Forever Wars. Um, and the first one came out, uh, is coming out, rather, this coming week, but I've already read it. Um, and it's really good. It's really good. It's called The Unlearned Lessons from the War in Iraq. And I think one of the, thing, I, one of the things that he claims that I think is pretty important, like as a framing device for understanding American war making these days is that if you don't declare war and if you say the war is forever you never have to reflect on the origins of the war the prosecution of the war so much and its consequences because it's just sort of this ongoing thing it gives you a kind of um, alibi to say well we don't know the outcomes yet because the war is still going right so we don't have to sort of think about um, the causes of war and what the war has done um, he's got this great line there is that, um, he's pulled from Alan Greenspan. And so that's, uh, a throwback to some maybe, but Alan, uh, Greenspan was the chair of the fed, right? So, and for, for a long time, and was considered like this, um, economic sage who, you know, made the argument that growth was permanent. The housing market would never, uh, collapse, um, and markets are perfect and hence, mm -hmm in 2007 we get the financial crisis right um and you know he was he was uh chastened by that um i think um but that being said the point is, is that a lot of people asked him for advice and george w bush asked him for advice about iraq and he was very direct about it he said iraq the iraq war should be about oil um and because america has a strategic interest 
in securing the flow of oil. And Iraq is a state that has a lot of oil and is smack in the middle of the Middle East, surrounded by oil. And therefore, it would behoove the United States to just invade it and take it and sort of control the supply. Right. Of course, that was not what was the stated purpose of the Iraq war. Right. It was the all the you know web of lies about WMD and stuff like that. Um, but I think, you know, so so that being said, Spencer's got this claim in there that I think perfect like perfectly sums up American foreign policy. And he says the only way to understand it is a quote signature mix of material interest and exceptionalism fantasy. Um, and so material interest is obvious with the Iraq war, right? We just talked about it. And then the exceptionalism is that it's America's duty as a quote unquote indispensable nation in the world order to set that order, reproduce that order to its interest, um, and when necessary, uh, use violence to do so, right? Um, and I think one of the things that I just kind of find fascinating here is that Uh, the U.S. Army has this place in Fort Leavenworth, uh, the Combined Ar Arms Center. David Petraeus used to run it um, before he went and led the surge in Iraq and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, and what they do there is they basically, like, come up with doctrine. Um, they come up with, you know, the handbooks that are then taught and disseminated throughout the U.S. Army. Um, the famous uh, U.S. Army and Marine Corps counterinsurgency manual was crafted there with Petraeus and, and a bunch of other people. Uh, but within that, like, organization in Fort Leavenworth, there's a place called CALL, which stands for Center for Armies, Army Lessons Learned. And basically, they, they do, like, an autopsy of all the wars, and they're like, okay, this went well, that didn't go well, and, you know, like, we've learned our lesson now, right? Like, that we should, you should proceed, you know, like this. And I don't mean to come down on call too hard because they're the army. They don't set the political policy, right? They don't decide where to invade. They just do the invasion, right? So to, to a certain extent, they're kind of off the hook. Um, but it's also interesting that there is just absolutely no um, thought about strategy. It's all about operations and tactics, right? So I... I in preparation for today, I, I went to the, their their call website and just like searched Iraq War, like see what mm -hmm. comes up, right? And it's basically like really nitty gritty, you know, like uh, we need to have extra rations when we go out to this place, and you know, and stuff like that, right? The very very sort of operational lessons, you know, um, and there's no sort of thought about. Um, the overall strategy of invading countries who haven't attacked you um, and uh, on, on sort of flimsy intelligence and stuff like that, because of course the army does a lot of intelligence too, right? So that it's not like it's outside of its uh, purview. But I just thought it was like a very good indicator of how you know, the institutionalized memory of American military history um, continues to, um, basically misremember the war right like you sort of you, you you're remembering it but you're remembering it in, in in a very special way which is like okay we have to like do operations differently you know like when we invade countries we should be doing this and we should be doing that and no consideration whatsoever is being 
kind of paid to is like, maybe we should have really good intelligence, like rock solid intelligence before when we define an entire country that hasn't attacked us as a threat. Um, and so, you know, I'm just like, it's perfect. And I think you know, Spencer mentions this in his article is that I, you probably saw this last year when George W. Bush was gave a speech, you know, basically decrying Vladimir Putin's yeah. invasion yeah. of Ukraine. But then when he first said it, he's like this illegal, immoral, aggressive invasion of Iraq. And then he I says, know. oops, oh, no, no, I meant U Ukraine. Right. So it's like, that's gee, so that's crazy. that's a that's a nice Freudian slip that tells us so much. Right. Um, yes. And. And so that's one of the things that, you know, to kind of pick up on our conversation from before about U.S. involvement uh, in Ukraine, the extent, you know, how far it should go and the moral justification for it is that, you know, had the Iraq war not happened, um, I think the U.S. would be on, on much more sort of steady moral ground um, because... George W. Bush basically did exactly what Vladimir Putin's doing. You know, Ukraine is a resource-rich country. Uh, it's the breadbasket of Europe. Uh, it has tons of oil and gas. Um, and, you know, Putin wants it. It's a strategic interest for him. In the same way as Alan Greenspan was saying that Iraq is a strategic material interest for the United States, right? So, you know... I don't know, like talking to students now and stuff like that about the Iraq war. They weren't born, um, many of them Crazy. before, you know, um, all of home. them, all of them were born after nine 11. Um, right. but, but, um, a lot of them were not born when the Iraq war started. So what they've, they've heard, like they've heard it trickle down in like, just kind of like the public culture, like, Oh, there was this Iraq war and you know, what was it about? And their kind of standard thing was like, oh, it's about spreading democracy. Like, like that was the argument. Um, and even if they're skeptical about that argument, they, they, that's what they've heard, that that's what this war was about. And so like, they don't even know, um, and it's no fault of theirs, right? It's definitely no fault of theirs, but I'm just saying like, they don't know that there was this whole like beating of the war drums from 2002 or really 2001 um, all the way to 2003 uh, which was about WMD, and then they kept on changing the causes of the war as sort of needed, right? Um, and it and eventually ended up being like, ah, oh, this is about spreading democracy and so on, right? Um, so all this is to say is that America has not reckoned uh, with this war, um, and it hasn't, it's reckoned with what it's done to the Iraqis, certainly, and I don't think it's really reckoned with what it's done to veterans um, of the war um, and how they've suffered and kind of been hung out to dry in various ways. Um, so this is all basically my call to sort of think about this stuff, right? That this is, you know, there, there's a lot of other stuff going on in the world, um, but wars don't end on the battlefield, right? That they have cascade effects across all of society that escape the battlefield. Mm -hmm. um, and... Um, there's there's a line by um, this great writer uh, Viet Thanh Nguyen who um, who wrote a couple great novels um, on like post Vietnam and the memory of Vietnam and he's got this line about how we remember wars and he says uh, wars are fought twice once on the battlefield and once in memory mm -hmm. um, 
And that's where we are right now, the memory over this, um, or, or the lack of. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I always find it like telling, but also shocking that like there hasn't really been a consequence for specifically the Republicans. I mean, <clears throat> you know, a lot of Democrats obviously voted for yeah, most the did. invasion. <clears throat> most did. Our president. You know, but I mean, you should be able to look back. It's been 20 years and understand the predicament a lot of them were in. It's not, it's inexcusable. I mean, you know, Obama didn't, uh, you know, Bernie didn't. He did Afghanistan, but not Iraq. I mean, there were holdouts that were like, this is crazy. But, you know, looking back like 20 years later, you should be able to understand we had just gotten attacked at 9-11 there was uh, uh, Islamophobia going on like crazy. I mean, everyone's thinking there's like, you know, (laughs) terror cells all over the United Mm -hmm. States. And they stripped our freedoms from us. I mean, they used fear to control us, to strip away freedoms, to invade our privacy, to illegally arrest people, to do all sorts of shit that like, you don't typically think about a democratic society uh, being part of. Most of that's still legal today. Um, and we're just so preoccupied with social media and bullshit that like, there's never been a reckoning, you know, like I think with the Vietnam war, there was kind of a, like that war was bullshit. Um, and guess why? Cause there was a draft, right? Exactly. I mean, you know, my position on the draft, I think that it should be, there's the draft should be here forever. I mean, I'm a big draft guy draft. Let's go think about who you vote for. Um, but we haven't really had that since. And it's like I, that I, I don't really you'd have to like somebody will study that one day and figure it out. The connection between like, you know, glossy memory of stuff like, mm-hmm. I mean, George Bush is still doing the late night circuits like this guy invaded a country, albeit a country with a horrible dictator, which is the slight difference between what Russia is doing right now and what he did. I mean, that is not nothing. You know, there's something about watching Russia go in to a democratically elected place where people seemed somewhat happy and just like raping and pillaging and destroying the place. They're, they're in the same conversation, but you know, nobody was like sad to see Saddam go. Right. You know, I mean that, that, and I believe they use that to be like, we get rid of him and everybody's going to be happy, but it's like, it doesn't work like that, right? You take out Putin, you take out uh, any of these crazy dictators, another one steps in. The the people aren't prepared to then just become this like free society where like everything works. Like we're having trouble doing that here and it's all we've known. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, my, it's why I, I like really think about who I'm voting for. It's why I, I, I really think about when when stuff happens in the world like you want to prevent war it's a really bad thing uh it does it typically doesn't very short after have like great outcomes obviously world war ii was probably the last time where like it was an important war and like it had to be done and there was a great outcome for a lot of people but the wars in my lifetime and slightly before my lifetime it just seems like a lot of pointless death. And at some point I'm wondering, like, when does that turn into people being like, what the fuck? You know? Yeah, well, especially when the framing of 
the U.S. military um, posture in the world is that of permanent war, mm-hmm. right? Like that. Um, it's interesting because like we used to have a uh, like a Department of War, um, and then in 1947, this thing, the National Security Act, was passed. And under Truman, and that created like the Joint Chiefs of Staff. It created the CIA. It created the National Security Council, the National Security Advisor, and so it was this whole sort of uh, reformulation and institutionalization of uh, you know like the American forces of coercion. Um, and they changed their name to the Department of Defense. And the interesting thing is that once you have that movement, because like the Department of War was like active when there was like war. Right. And it's like, okay, when there's a war, like, okay, this is the department that sort of deals with that. But the Department of Defense is a sort of permanent thing, right? It's just a permanent institution that we always need to be on the watch um, and uh, armed to the teeth at that when we're on the watch and ready Mm -hmm. to sort of uh, strike as needed. And because it is a democratic society, the winds that blow, the political winds that blow, will decide when those strikes are, right? You know, so that had, you know, Al Gore, who actually won that election, um, uh, been president, we're not sure if that, you know, the Iraq war would have happened. Another pitch for another amazing book, by the way, on this, if you, again, like, I'm just trying to tell people you should revisit this because it's important um, to, because just to think about America's role in the world. Um, and I'm not like, America should have no role in the world. Like, I think all, you know, places you know especially big countries that are you know powerful and rich should can have a very positive effect on the world actually um it's just how they engage with it but um there's another book by this guy robert draper called to start a war and it's about the origins of the iraq war in the bush administration going back to like the rise of neoconservatism and all this kind of stuff after um the fall of communism it's absolutely brilliant it's so good and I don't know how this dude gets access to who he gets access to. I think it's because he's a Southerner and he kind of looks and like <laughs> talks like, you know, like an old boy Republican. But he's a straight journalist. Like he's just a straight up journalist. Uh, and it's a sort of withering critique in the end without him like, editorializing. He just kind of gives you the story um, mm-hmm. of, of how these guys brought us to war and just and it's like a really granular sh- like showcase of how they like basically lied about intelligence, you know, shredded stuff, you know, all sorts of things uh, going on. And what comes out very clearly is that Colin Powell, when he went to the UN to give the pitch for, a, to, for the UN to give a mandate for the war, which they didn't do, um, he knew openly that that intelligence was flimsy um and he it was basically politics and um his own ego to be on the sort of center stage that he sort of decided to go with it right so there's a lot of stuff um that has been you know look there's a book on it but like why is nobody talking about (laughs) about i mean i that's that's what i think about is that there's such an amnesia that goes on um, in American politics that if because we don't remember our history or we again, we remember it just so that's like very sort of, um, I don't know, in favor of our own egos and stuff like that, that um, we 
don't have lessons learned, actually, <laughs> which brings us full circle. Well, that's to because like, it's you know... politicized. It's politicized because it's very much like critiquing police. If you have views that are anti-invasion, this and that, the way you get attacked is like, those are that's our military. Those are our soldiers. And it's like, no, you actually care more about the soldiers if you question sending right. them to right. fight. And I... And there, it's just like the propaganda machines are so good, man. It, it's never, it's never really shocking anymore. It's like they're so well established that if you were to be a candidate and come out and be like, "Those wars were bullshit," the opposition would turn it on that you're talking shit about the men and women who died, yeah. which is exactly not what you're doing. It's uh, literally being wait, like, wait, "No, um, you killed them." Wait, unless you're Trump, who did that and and got away with it because he also yes. said police should beat up people at the same, you know, like the, the, yeah, the, yeah. So he, he's he's able to do that, which is like. Like his political genius right it is his political genius which we can get into at some point um but yeah i just um i don't know the flip side is i do somewhat tend to disagree with you a little bit in that the more i see what's going on in the world the more i see the the uh, oppressed societies and people it's one of those things where like i'm not like I'm definitely not a remove our military bases from places like let's stop interfering. I kind of I, I kind of see the importance of it if if it's if it's rooted in actually bet, the the bettering of society and the world. But, you know, I don't trust North Korea. I don't. And, and I, that's not because I'm getting sucked into propaganda. It's because they're animals They're He's a piece of shit like he. He, these are not good people. And I'm not, I'm not trying to say that like America, we have so many flaws and we do so much dumb shit, but like, I, maybe it's, I mean, it's clearly because I'm from here, but like, it makes me feel a little more (laughs) comfortable knowing that people would question doing things because of the might of the American military. So, you know, you don't think a guy like Vladimir Putin would invade more places or just drop a nuke or do whatever if he could if there wasn't a fear of a consequence by a you know what is a superpower so you know as i maybe it's as i get older whatever the hell it is it's like until somebody shows me here's the alternative and we all cooperate like that means the world then i don't quite under i don't know what you do So I've got a lot of thoughts on that. Um, I know you yeah, do. Yeah. So I would say that there has been a lot of missed opportunities on international cooperation um, over mm-hmm. the years. Uh, the first one being the UN, right? So the UN sure. was effectively created as a great power institution um, to kind of keep up European imperialism and or, and, or neo-imperialism, right? That's why we have this veto-proof, you know, limited council, you know, the... Um, America's got the permanent seat and so on. Somehow France does, but, 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 um, (laughs) you know, there, there's, there's, they've got, they've got that right. So they, they, they created a system for the perpetuation of effectively, um, uh, a pretty, uh, univocal vision of the world. Right. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like, so, and, but their problem was, was that decolonization happened. And then effectively the general assembly went from like 
30 countries to like 180 countries because the world got decolonized. And all of those people are like, uh, no, no, thank you. And, and effectively, there was like a hostile takeover of the institution that was meant to, you know, perpetuate a certain type of order. Mm-hmm. And after that, you basically see like the US and other countries like fleeing the UN as an institution. They're like, no, this institution, you know, it's terrible. You know, they, they do nothing and so on uh, because they couldn't fully control it. Right. Like, mm-hmm. so this is really about um, it's not quite cooperation. It's that we're going to lead and you have to follow. Right. Understood. And, and that sure. sort of perspective um, is, you know, obviously inequitable. But, you know, nobody likes that if you're just being already deputized as a follower. Right. Like there's no sort of, you know, there's formal sovereignty. Substantively, you're definitely like, you know, second chair, if, if that. Um, in terms of bases and stuff like that. Right. This is. You know, North Korea, I mean, like North Korea is a byproduct of, in many ways, um, of the U.S. bombing campaign of the Korean War, um, which was unbelievably vicious, um, more so than, you know, the firebombing of Japan and and, Mm -hmm. uh, Germany during World War II, like even more than that. Um, And so in some ways, like North Korea is a political expression of war trauma. Um, and the sort of sort of seething anger um, of you know something like you know twenty percent of the civilians were wiped out um, during that very brief war you know the actual like hot war, um, so which is not to sort of excuse like the the regime that emerged and and you know it's you know uh, you know attack basically on its own people, um, but it's also um, only explainable by virtue of war itself right so that and this is the same thing with you know iraq is like now the argument is we always have to stay in iraq uh, because there's isis but isis only emerged because we invaded iraq right and so you know around and around you go and then you end up creating this whole sort of earth you know girded in american iron and the argument is that oh we have to stay there because you know like there are these you know people who like you know, are going to attack us. And, and, but the, the point is, is that they are often alienated by virtue of your presence in the first place. Right. So I'm a little bit more skeptical about even for American interests, the actual use value of these, um, bases. And by the, we have 800 of them, um, 800 plus that we know about, right. I, I I'm assuming there's more, um, but 800 plus that we know about, Mm-hmm. Uh, across the earth right so mm-hmm. and this like you know the last obvious thing is um afghanistan right mm-hmm. like u.s intervention into afghanistan helps produce osama bin laden and then we get 9-11 and then we're like okay we got to like invade the middle east mm-hmm. you know so in terms of going back to causes of war right rationales of why we should be doing these things um, that is never sort of thought about. It's kind of like, we're going to go around the world, sometimes, you know, produce our own enemy effectively, and then play whack-a-mole. Sure. Yeah, I get it. But that's not always the case. Um, and I think there are plenty of places... We've definitely mingled in, but there are definitely plenty of places where bad dudes would invade 
neighboring countries if it weren't for the fear of the U.S. bases and soldiers planted around the world. You disagree? Well, give me an example here. I mean, the first Iraq war. The first Iraq war. I mean, that was also about oil. That, was, know, that but... wasn't about the sovereignty um, of Kuwait. Well, you know? it wasn't. It wasn't. It was one country trying to t- just take over another. Right. But and, and it was stopped. Yeah, but the thing is, like, that happens a lot, <laughs> right? So that, that, that this, is, this is the argument that why I think Spencer's so right on this is that there's material interest, right, which is controlling the flow of oil, um, and then you overlay that with the exceptionalist fantasy that America is the indispensable nation that has to police the world because we're the good guys and we don't want to have a bad cop. Therefore, you know, we should be doing it. Um, But of course, we only do it very selectively when it's in our interest, right? We're not going to go in when, you know, the Rwandans are um, committing a genocide on their own people and say, you know, because it's not in our interest, right? If there was a ton of oil there, maybe we would have gone. So I'm, I, my sort of point is that, again, I'm I'm also like not like a pacifist. Right. Like that's that's I mean, I tend towards it. Like I hope for peaceful outcomes for every conflict. Of course. Um, But I also I'm not there in terms of like there should be like totally no militaries and stuff like that. I I think that's that's not like really engaging with the world as it is. Um, Well, also with the spread of AI, with the spread of like being able to control society at a level that is like skyrocketing. I mean, it was the news for most of our lives. It was like you control the state media, whatever, like propaganda. Now it's like they can like spy on you with the device in your hand. I'm just, all I'm saying is the way the world's going, the rapid speed of technology, the brainwashing, the control. um, I don't know, man. I don't trust. It's not that I have this overwhelming blanket trust for the United States. I do not. But one thing I do... um, I don't trust is I don't trust the fact that the world full of dic- dictator men who are psychopaths are ever going to get along. I'm past that. I don't think that's just how we're going to do it. I don't think we're, I don't, I think we'll wipe each other out before that day happens. I, I mean, I don't think it's that. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. There's no, I, there's no, and the th- maybe the, it's the just, reason I have the, no the, problem saying maybe I just like being on the team that I think has the best shot at winning. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying I feel I feel like we have real elections here, regardless of what Trump says, where we vote people in. We have somewhat of an example of how. Like, I'm not afraid. I've never in my life been afraid that there's a man in power because it's always been men that are going to uh, uh, get rid of all of the rules and become Putin. Well, I mean, I think um, I have been for sure. I know you have. Uh, yeah. I haven't. Yeah, and I, I think mean, it worked out. I think Trump was the guy that was going to try it. Um, I, I th- again, I think you know the Bush administration did a good job um, of you know, I know people that- talk people talk about you know like Trump. His biggest problem was like quote unquote norm erosion, right? Like like these are norms, and like he's an oddity. He's outside, and I you know he's like breaking no, no, all I- the norms. And I think like that gets it wrong, you know, that gets it wrong completely because it's not like as if 
dictatorships don't happen overnight. Dictatorships happen because dictators, especially in the modern era, in the 20th century, let's say, and into the 21st, is they, they use the democratic institutions until they're no longer useful to them, right? So that they, they hit the limit and then they start, you know, chipping away at, you know, what's going on in Israel right now, right, with the judiciary, for instance, what has already happened in India um, with the media, political opposition, um, and the judiciary, <laughs> so, and it's the world's biggest democracy, right? Um, really, it's being crafted into a soft dictatorship. Eventually, it'll be a hard dictatorship. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, that's how it works. And I think, I don't think any country is impervious to that. Um, and the United States maybe even more um, kind of uh, imperiled by that because we've got such a great self-esteem about how things run. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, of yeah, course. we're, like, we're yeah, awesome. Obviously, we're, this, is, this is always like I, a foreign thing. It's not us. I don't think that self-esteem is at its highest moment right now. And I also, like, you know, it actually comes back to our military. And maybe I'll eat these words in my lifetime, and I really hope not. But... I have faith that these, the military and the separation of the presidency from the military and the Joint Chiefs of Staff and everybody, I, I believe most most of those soldiers, when they take their oath, follow it. Like, I don't believe that, you know, the Marines and the Army, they're going to get together and go, let's get behind Trump and rule this shit. I think yeah, they... Yeah, no, not at all. I, so so all. that's the part of our military I love is that actually I think they're the last stop to us ever getting there and I have more faith in them than I do these idiots in office. So, you know, the, how many generals did Trump fire because they were like, you're fucking crazy, dude. And like, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't want to speculate anything, but I just think if, if push came to shove, I trust that they would step in if they needed to. I, and maybe it's like an irrational you know, uh, comfort I'm giving myself, but that's my point. It's like, you see what's going on in India. You see what's going on, um, around the world. And how could I then go, you know what we should do? Let's pull back our presence everywhere and just, you know, sit back and maybe we'll all get along because it's just getting easier for these people to take over. And so I don't know, man. And I also am super anti-war. You know that like mm. I'm against all this shit. Um, but I'm also pro defending Ukraine. Like there are times where I think you got to do it. And I just wonder if we were, if we weren't capable of doing it, like the Ukraine would be toast right now. And then where would it stop? You don't think Poland would be next or one of those places? I'm sorry. I just, you, you have to learn from a, a, like a, a world war two. You have to learn that if there's no fear of backlash or consequence, with another superpower, these maniacs have no end in sight. And so I don't know. I, I'm, I, I I'm agree. torn because I haven't done the research, but like my instinct is like, no, I'm good, man. Keep, keep my, keep our troops around the world. I, I okay agree on, on Ukraine. I actually do agree um, that, you know, U S involvement, it, but it has to be, I, I think they're doing a good job because it's like, it's delicate, right? It's, you know, we're going to send you tanks, but we're not sending you F-35s, right? You know, like that sort sure. of thing, right? Um, They're and, sending them tanks we're not going to use anymore. So people, yeah. you know, I'm on the phone yesterday with somebody and they're like, well, yeah, also this fake narrative. I think the Republicans are going to sweep because you don't think these poor people in the country that, you know, they're, that check got taken away so the kids can eat are going to like seeing this military stuff. And I go, 
Yo, how crazy is that, that that's what you're saying? Meanwhile, banks just got bailed out this week mm -hmm. and, that, and you went to Ukraine. You went to that, which, by the way, is like 6% of our defense budget. It's nothing. And we're sending them equipment we probably wouldn't use if we fought a war. Yeah, I mean, and the, the they're, tank Essentially, war. they're kind of doing us a favor. We're like, we're getting rid of surplus bullshit that the police would have gotten. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true, dude. So it's like, I don't know, man. Like, that that's the scary part of this country and social media is that, like, that's what's been put in your head is it's about Ukraine. That's peanuts, dude. You're the people that are screwing you over are these banks and these Wall Street assholes, and you're still blaming these poor people of the Ukraine. You, you you think maybe we should like get the fuck out of here? Like, are you crazy? So I don't know, man. I just um, I'm I'm uh, lately I'm I'm, I'm anti invasion, but I'm I'm pro I'm pro military. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I like I like our men and women and and, and people. Stationed the, around the world. The, uh, cri the, cr the, the critique presence. of military policy that I'm giving has nothing to do no, with the people I agree. of the military. No, no, right? no. I, yeah. I, I didn't mean to phrase it like yeah, that. Yeah. I meant like there are people that would like to close our bases, places. I'm, I'm okay with not doing that. So here's my... Okay, so I've you got... you can tax me. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll pay for it. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly against base expansion. Right. So that um, I'm, I'm actually if it for, causes I'm, I'm immediate for, conflict, I'm, I'm for contraction. I mean, the thing is, like the U.S. bases around the world have also like produced a lot of violence. Of right? course. There's, you know, like and, and again, this is not like to attack every soldier that's ever served these bases like the, you know, the super, super duper 99 percent point nine of the majority like did their job and did it well. Um, but, you know, we can just talk about. America in Japan since uh, World War II, like the the hundreds of rapes and murders of Japanese girls and women by sure. U.S. service members and stuff like sure. that. Like these sure. are things that, and again, like when you have um, these military installations, right? Which are effectively like I mean, it's just I just want to like to think about. Imagine if like other countries had military bases dotted around our country. You know, like it's not no, no, really no. kind of, of intelligent. No, I would hate it. Right. You know, yeah. You know, so like just like, you but, just but like Amit, think, yeah, hold on. I, I just had to jump in because when people say that it, you have to. And as a historian, you would appreciate this. This didn't just like happen. Right. Like this slowly happened over time because the rest of the world was OK with America coming in to save the day with America being there. Yeah, for sure. They were, man, like World War Two. If we didn't get in there, what do you think would have happened? What look, do you think would have happened? Look, um, the uh, my grandfather from his grave is listening right now. Actually, you're in my grandfather okay? fought in many parts of the world. World right. II. So. Yeah. If, but but I don't think there's anybody that thinks that the U.S. didn't get involved. Uh, Germany doesn't potentially win that war. That's that's I, I'm not talking about that. And remember, the U.S. doesn't get in because of Germany. They get in because of the Pacific, right? Like I'm they, not they, saying the United States yeah. got up. That's <laughs> again, not what we're arguing. They about. they get in. Here's again. Their they response get in was because appalling. of their material interest. Of and course, then afterwards, and they overlay overlay yeah. it about how we were always this just country and we were really against Nazis and stuff like that. We like we didn't care about it until like it came to our shores, right? Like so, the outcome is all. It's the same with the Iraq War, right? right? But we have my, to talk about the outcome. If you're, but again, so are you for Americans to stay in Iraq forever? Um, 
I feel really bad for the Afghanistan people. Iraq, I'm not sure about. But at, at a point, I, I don't know that life's better for the Afghans now that we've removed all presence. And I and they haven't removed all presence, right? That they've. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that the Taliban, we kind of, a, and it's, I, this is not Biden. It's really actually Trump who did the deal. I don't know, dude. It's like one of those things where like, I don't, I don't really have the acumen to talk about it. But if I'm just talking about it from a human level, it's like we went in, we fucked the place up. And then women were going to school and like nothing was great there, but like there was a sense of something going on. Obviously, people were like, we're still fighting. So I feel bad for the soldiers that go there knowing like I'm going to have to fight. But I, I don't know. That comes like a more of like a bigger question of like, what's your responsibility? Yeah, after exactly. You do that? I mean, the thing I'm is, like, sure. you can maybe it, this maybe is I the... wish the United States was still in Afghanistan and that women were going to school. I may probably. So, so, OK, so that, yeah, probably. that I mean, that's effectively like a forever war footing. Right. Which is which is precisely the 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 policy. Right. Uh, the, the bipartisan consensus is that we are at um, at a sort of low grade war. Um, undeclared around the world at various hotspots, right? Like the world is yes. a battlefield. You know, there's no more battlefield. There's battle space, and so on, right? That that kind of framing. Um, and if we go back to World War II, like it's not as if the Japanese were like so happy with an American occupation. We'd already burned 66 of their cities and dropped two nuclear bombs, um, and then we had a military occupation where an army general was running Japan until the early 50s. Um, mm -hmm. And the idea that, you know, the Japanese, and, and this is how it's pitched, is like, look at like, you know, the Japanese democracy and, and economy is like a great model um, of, you know, American power, like the fruits of American power. Um, the, the, the flip side, of course, is that the preamble to that occupation was unbelievable mass death of civilians um, and then a continued military occupation until this day right you know like we're, we're 20 years away from the one century anniversary of World War II um, and you know we're still there and the and, and this is the thing is like you're right that the bases don't happen overnight it's based on US, US gets involved in countries and never leaves right Sure. That's the approach, right? Um, the difference is the reason why they use Japan as an example is we're not running Japan anymore. We have a base there strategically, probably to deter China. But Japan's a pretty functioning society, dude. I mean, it's, it is a model democracy. I mean, they're doing well. And I'm not saying I agree with dropping <laughs> nuclear bombs on people. but at the, But on the flip side... Y'all did kind of sneak attack a fucking army base in of the United States and kill a bunch of soldiers. Like, I don't know. You were kind of going to get fucked up. Okay, right. So that's obviously an act of war, right? Like, and then it's an attack. It's yeah. literally an attack. We weren't in, and you attacked. You drew. You pulled. You pulled the United States in, who were doing, who should have been in, who are, or were. You know, we could talk about their the reluctancy, which is kind of gross when you really look back. And there, nobody didn't know what was going on with the Nazis killing Jews, um, and also just well, taking over Paris. And come on, get the fuck out of here! Like that would never happen today. Oh, well, maybe it would, but um, you know, the the like whole the whole like Japanese like 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 the the 
shame of the United States. I don't like I hate that they drop nuclear bombs on them. I think that sucks. I, I don't think they should be used, period. But going in and attacking them for what they did, I'm fine with it. I mean, I think that that's that's yeah. the rules of war. You attack. No, but we but retaliate. I'm not I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about. No, I understand. You know, I'm talking about the presence. Yeah. yeah like, like so like the that's a best case the, scenario. The 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 post. Um, I'm just saying that the stories often told about our wars are told yeah, glorified, you know, very much after the fact. And then all of the sort of items to tell the story, you know, like the data is like really, really cherry picked. Right. Sure. 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 Um, of course. And that's like the, 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 the sort of the fantasy element, right. That, that Spencer is talking about is that why is it that we don't, sort of focus on material interests and then think about, yeah, there, you know, different countries have material interests. That's a real thing. Um, why should it be that war is the answer to yeah, I gaining your material interests? Right. And I'll just, you know, um, you know, I'll end my tirade here. And again, I want to be crystal clear here. This is not an indictment of the actual people doing the fighting, especially today where those are volunteers. Right. These are people who volunteer to be in the military um, and they're professionals, right? Like that's their profession. That's what they do. Um, and so and one of the things that they do is that they follow orders, right? They don't craft the orders. They follow the orders. Of and course. so this this is a, this is an indictment of let's call it the the defense intellectual complex, um, the the think tankification of Washington policy and the the policymakers themselves. I would just say that, you know, one example of where you could have had collaboration um, and cooperation was right after the Cold War. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and again, in terms of like lost opportunities is that, you know, the the Soviet Union ended without a bank. Right. It, it, you know, so it, know. you know, people thought, oh, these guys are going to, it's going to be an Armageddon, right? They're going to go down fighting and then nuclear war. There's definitely going to be the big tank war in Europe. Um, you know, all of that. None of that happened. And what happened afterwards? Gorbachev um, and then Yeltsin both asked the U.S. presidents if they could join NATO. Right. They there's like, let's you know, there's no need for, you know, Warsaw Pact. Whatever. Like, let's let's have let's let's us be in NATO, too. And the U.S. was so triumphalist at the time that they said, no, 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 no way. Um, and because we're going to run the world now, it's a unipolar world. It's not a bipolar world. Right. It's just us. Um, and again, like this is that's really just about power, like right? really about control. And what could have been like a real building block towards world peace uh, was forsaken. Uh, for, you know, advancing U.S. power, which was thought to be, you know, we're at the end of history and, you know, nothing's going to change and the U.S. is going to be the most powerful country ever um, and and for, and forever. So, you know, like there's there's a lot of opportunities you know, historically for this. Um, and in that sense, like the U.S. is no different from the British Empire or the French sure. Empire before them. Um, and certainly during the Soviet Union, the Soviet Empire, right? Um, so, you know, but to say that you're like others who are like imperialists is not like a great thing, <laughs> you know, like just because no, it's been I done agree. before doesn't necessarily mean like, okay, well, we should just keep doing that. Um, so yeah. that's, that's my point is that the origins of these things are, are often neglected because people get caught up in the moment of the action 
Um, and I understand that, but what, you know, we're coming upon this 20th anniversary. I think it, it, it's useful to take a moment to think about, you know, the rationale and the rationality, um, of these policies. Which in closing, I would just like to say if they did what we want, which is to put the draft back in, we do wonder if uh, we would have attacked Iraq, if that was actually like we all had to go. And and I that's why, you know, I don't really have like a constructed argument. I'm just kind of reacting. But yeah, yeah. I think a lot of this would be solved with if, you know, like like the Israelis or like some other countries where like you have to do, I, like I really think it's important. Like if if, if we're going to be the world police and we're going to potentially have to or like think about in, interference with anything that goes on in the world, I do think it's it's the responsibility of the citizens to at least understand what that means and have to potentially be called upon. And I wonder what the world would look like if every American potentially qualified to go do the fighting um yeah because i don't want to do it <laughs> and so like we i would really think about it if you know yeah. i would really 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 think about it if i've got two sons I don't, for, I don't want you know yeah, exactly so you know uh, it's it's one of those things where you know I, I i i understand the importance of like some sort of balance in the world i understand that we don't do everything correct and we have a lot of stupid interests which we don't talk about that fuck stuff up um i just like quite i, I just don't trust um i don't trust the, the way the world's going i'm not sure it can change anytime soon unless like somehow the un really became legitimate and it was like a working functioning thing where like everybody grouped together financial financial repercussions um which could stop actual battling and you know, money rules the world literally. So it would really be like really authenticating that and making it something where like there's no trumping people. Like if yeah. if the UN voted against something and the U United States want to, we, we follow the rules. And I don't know, maybe that's what we can all hope can happen one day is like we, you know, it seems like because of the Ukraine war, like Europe and the United States and NATO is, is does feel a little more like connected. Um, oh yeah, you see Turkey so. even about to like allow the the uh, um, Switzerland in, uh, which we didn't think would happen. So like, I don't know the Swedes. That, yeah, the Swedes. Yeah, that that would be, you know, I don't know. That's that's the system working, and I think now would be the time to for everybody to acknowledge it and say it's working. If we do this and stick together, well, we could deter people from doing stuff rather than having to fight. And maybe yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's the answer. But I, I, think, know, I think I think somebody. I think that's. I think that no. I think that's dead right for the moment. Right yeah. for the moment, like we're we're in. Like yes. Um, the, the like let's celebrate. My, my my question is, and maybe this is just like the historian speaking in me, um, is like why is NATO still around? <laughs> you know, like like again, like a, it's a Cold War relic that has now been repurposed for American global policing. Right. So sure. so that's that's where like there's the moments. So everybody's these... trying to get in right now on it uh, because no, Russia again, invaded. So yes, there's yes. clearly a insecurity around Eastern Europe and Europe that like doesn't not want NATO. So we have to look at that like that might be why Putin's not 
you know, attacking Poland or one of these places because we have an obligation at that point and an oath to defend. And I don't know. It's I agree with you. But at the same time, I'm I'm kind of like, thank maybe thank God it's here. And Again, I don't believe that Putin attacked Ukraine because of them wanting to get in NATO. I, 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 I agree for the short term. I agree for the, the moment. Sure. Okay. It, it still does not, you know, get to the root, I don't think. You know, that that's that's I think that's that's the issue is that, you know, if global security is the aim um, and peace and you know trade yep. and all those, you know, you know, human flourishing in general. Right. If that's the it's that, if that's the end goal, um, you know, after World War One, they didn't keep the alliance systems that had brought the world to war. Right. They didn't sure. have the, 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 the three the, the, the League of the Three Kaisers and stuff like that. Like those those were in the moment historical uh, alliances that made sense for those leaders at the time. Yeah, then and then, Ahmed, and then, then there things was another changed. world war. No, no, no. I, I, <laughs> yeah, no, but, and then, but I'm saying after that, then, you know, also yeah. there wasn't uh, the, the same alliance system. Right. Sure. Um, and now after the cold war, but we do have the same alliance system from the cold mm. war. Right. So mm -hmm. that's, that's what I'm sort of questioning is that what is the rationale then, um, which is to always, and, and my, my reading of it, is to always be on a war footing, which I don't think is a good way to prevent war. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, so that's 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 it. All right, that's a good way to end it. All right. In contrast, Russian elections are rigged. Political opponents are imprisoned or otherwise eliminated from participating in the electoral process. The result is an absence of checks and balances in Russia. And the decision of one man to launch a wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq. I mean, of Ukraine. <laughs> Iraq, too. Anyway. Uh, oh, next man. Next week? Yeah, next week. Let's do it. We're we got to start getting into the, to politics, man. I mean, it's like yeah. we've got elections coming up. I know. So we should yeah. start getting into that. Yeah. Um, great. No Politics at the Dinner Table is produced by Amit Prakash. Uh, Beats by Jeep Baderoy, our theme song by Alex Tepper. Uh, check out our website. Um, shoot us an email. Let us know if you want to talk about something. Any questions? We're, yeah. We're here. Um, we'll see you next week. See you next week.